1: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
2: Well, our show is about the wild, wild west of the Internet. In fact, I have a book in my hand right here called Wild West 2.0. How to Protect and Restore Your Online Reputation on the Untamed Social Frontier. And this was written by David Thompson, who we're going to speak to today, and Michael Furtick, who is the CEO of Reputation Defender, who we actually had on our show several weeks ago. So this is really fun to be able to have the other author, and he's an attorney. Let me tell you a little bit about David Thompson. He is a practicing attorney, technical expert, and the General Counsel for Reputation Defender, Inc. Um, highlights of his legal career are pretty interesting as well because he clerked for Justice Antonin Scalia, who is um, the on the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court, and for Chief Justice Alex Kaczynski. He's been kind of a colorful figure here on the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeal. And David has written extensively for a lot of legal publications. In fact, I think that's how I decided to interview him. I was reading a couple of his articles, and he has spoken about online reputation and privacy at um, many conferences and in training sessions and on national radio, so we're lucky to have him here, too. He's a real smart guy. He graduated with his J.D. from Stanford Law School and he graduated in his class. He was awarded Order of the Coif, and he received his BA from Yale. So we're real lucky to have him. And you can learn more about him at our website at kuci.org slash privacypiracy where you can see his picture and his bio. And we link to reputationdefender.com where you can also learn a lot more about him and the products. And also you can learn about Wild West 2.0, and you'll see a picture of that on our website. So thank you, David, for joining us this morning.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I've actually uh, recommended some of your books to our clients who've had identity theft issues. So it's a great pleasure to speak with you.
2: Oh, Well, it's a mutual admiration society, Dave. That's great. You know, I noticed in the book, I got a kick out of this, that you actually started an internet business back in 1997. What was that?
0: We are doing domain name registrations and websites for small businesses in the area. It's one of those, you know, help the local dry cleaners and help the local grocer get a website and get an online presence way back in 97 when the Internet was very new to a lot of people.
2: Right. So you're a techie. Well, how did you get to be such a techie?
0: I don't know. I think I just grew up with it. It was always fascinating to learn how to program computers. You know, I had the old uh, Commodore 64 for people who've been working with computers a long time. You might remember one of those. I had mm-hmm. one of those and just kind of learned a little bit on that, and then as PCs advanced, I... Tried to keep up with them.
2: Well, that's that's impressive, you know, for us oldies to to learn this thing. I'm real excited that I can do Adobe Audition and I have all the software that I can do. But someone like you, I'm really impressed, especially for being a lawyer too, because not all the lawyers are so techie except the technical lawyers. So that's that's pretty good.
0: Well, thank you. And they they say you go to law school to avoid doing math. So,
2: <laughs> but you you would have had to understand some of that, huh? Uh,
0: uh... Very little, but I try to keep up the best I can.
2: Right. So let's talk a little bit. I, I very much enjoyed your book, Wild West 2.0. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about it and how you decided to write it?
0: Absolutely. So when we were researching the book, we sort of tried to look at the Internet as a frontier. And there's been a lot written about the Internet as Gold Rush and the Internet as Open Frontier. But what interested us more was what happens after a frontier has been open for a while. What happened in the American West, not in 1849 at the Gold Rush, but 20 or 30 years later as Eastern society started to catch up with the Old West frontier and started to have a culture clash almost. And what we found out is, as we've been researching, the Internet today is a lot like the Old West frontier, sort of when it was closing, that there was a gold rush, there was millions of dollars made and lost, very completely lawless place initially. But then as it became an everyday part of life for so many people, the norms started to change and the law started to catch up. And right now we're seeing a very large culture clash online between some people who have been on the Internet since you know, the early 90s or the mid-90s, and people who came later and see the Internet as sort of the rest of the world. And they ask themselves, why is the Internet so unregulated? Why is it so lawless? Why am I not safe online? Why do I have to protect myself so actively from hackers and spammers and scammers and all these other things? So it's just been an absolutely fascinating journey to find out how the Internet is like a frontier. So let us know the title Wild West 2.0.
2: It definitely is. And, you know, there are so many wonderful things that you use the Internet and you think, gosh, this is incredible. You know, the research that you can do, it's, you know, you don't have to go and sit in the library all night long. You can really get into anything that you need to get into. And then you think about all the things that are so insidious that happen, you know, all the spyware and the hacking and then all the cyber identity theft that I've been hearing about lately from victims calling me. You know, whether it's putting up a, a fake business web, website or a fake, you know, yesterday I got a phone call from a guy who told me that it, he just found out that someone had put up a website, I mean, had put up a, um, uh, you know, on uh, fr- on my face, I mean, Facebook, excuse me, my face, Friendster, um, had put up a Facebook about his 10 year old with pictures of her that they had like kind of uh, cut cut out of some of the soccer games Just really terrified him. So, you know, this is something that she never even had gone and seen Facebook. And then he was told about it by somebody else. And he looked it up and there it was. And there were all sorts of sensitive data about his family.
0: Exactly. I mean, if I walked into a bank and pretended to be you, I'd be in handcuffs in under five minutes.
3: Well, actually,
2: that's not really true either, because depending how well you pretended to be someone, you know, you might. Unfortunately, that happens, too. But it's you know, that's at least face to face here. It's so anonymous.
0: Exactly. And the power of anonymity is great. People can discuss politics without fear of retribution. They can explore topics that are of interest to them that might not be politically correct in their area. Anything that they want to do. But it also empowers all kinds of identity thievery, spamming, scamming, impersonation, all kinds of horrible things.
2: I know. You know, I, I always remember, and I have a, I have cut out that cartoon from The New Yorker that the two dogs are sitting there and one dog's at the computer and the dog who's at the computer says to his dog friend, nobody knows you're a dog when you're on the Internet. You know, I always love that one. And that's so true. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know if the, the girl that you think you're talking to that's 12 years old is really, you know, a 50-year-old pervert. Right, you just exactly. you have no... to get
0: your bank account information or anything.
2: Right, so let's talk a little bit about online reputation. You know, I had interviewed oh, when when the book first came out, Dan Solove's book, "The Future of Reputation on the Internet." You've probably read that yourself, haven't you?
0: It's a great book. It's Absolutely.
2: a great. That's I think that's really one of his best. I liked it better than the Digital Person, and it was so true and so scary. So let's talk right now about what you mean by online reputation sure
0: so everybody has an online reputation and it's the information that people can find about you by searching online so if i went to a search engine and i typed your name your online reputation would be made up of the things that come up in a google search or come up in a facebook search and come up in any search online for you and you've got this reputation whether you participate online or not even if you don't have a facebook page even if you don't have a blog People search for you online and other people put content about you online. People might put up, you know, a blog mentioning your name saying, hey, you know, so-and-so was at the soccer game yesterday. Or they might put up a blog saying so-and-so is a dirty liar and shouldn't be on the PTA board. Right. All this information is part of your online reputation and it's it's based heavily on what people will see first when they when they look you up. It's what people will focus the most on.
2: Right. You know, I always worry about this, and I tell my clients that they should always put up alerts like the Google Alert. Put your name, you know, your full name, your name with your initial, your name without your initials, or your, you know, whatever you can on how you might be referred to and put that Google alert and see what comes back. And sometimes I'm really surprised. I mean, there've been, I've been quoted sometimes in articles that I never even knew I was quoted in. So, I mean, that's kind of helpful and that yeah. hopefully it's right or and if it's not, then at least you can write there. But it is scary. I was looking up doctors just recently to decide which doctor to go to and You know, you read about what people say about these doctors what kind of surgery they do, et cetera, and it's quite scary because some you'll see, oh, tons of really great things, and then you'll see horrible things, and you don't know if it's they just didn't like the guy or they really did have a a botched job or, or are they a competitor? How do you know that kind of stuff?
0: As a consumer, it's nearly impossible. And to go to your point, we've seen a lot of really bad stories that have started with uh, small businesses reviewing each other negatively. So, you know, a new pizza joint opens up and it gives negative reviews to all the other pizza joints in the area saying that they've got rats or their kitchen's not clean. Things that are really hard to disprove.
3: Right.
2: But
0: really destroy a company's image. It's, It's completely illegal, but it still happens online.
2: Yeah, and you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, why should my reputation even matter? I know who I am. My friends know who I am. I'm confident. What do I care about? What do you say to those people? I mean,
0: it's, it's true to some extent, but people still look for you and they, they form judgments about you. It influences the community gossip about you. And if you're a professional, if you're a small business, your customers are going to, the first thing they're going to do is Google you. There is a, a Pew study not that long ago that said that more consumers trust uh, online reviews than any other source of information. Hmm. And you know, more than conventional journalists, more than you know, consumer reports, anything like that for most small businesses and professionals. So if you're trying to do business, whether you're active online or not, this is incredibly important. But even if you're just a PTA parent, you're the soccer mom, whatever it is, people are still going to form their social judgments about you by Googling you. Everybody's Googling each other these days. More than half of all Americans Google each other. They use it for social gossip. They use it for interpersonal communication. And one little false seed online and just start a huge rumor mill going in the community about you. And it's it's totally unfortunate. But like your story about the child who was impersonated on MySpace.
3: Right.
2: I
0: mean, that stuff can ruin her reputation.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Now, how about employers? You know, I remember one time I was talking with an attorney who was an employment attorney, and he admitted to me that he was dealing with a lot of cases in which the attorneys who were trying to hire other attorneys would look online, rather than just go through the regular background checks, they would look online on all of these social networking sites to see what they see about their prospective employees. What do you you think about that?
0: I mean, it's it's absolutely true that employers do look at this stuff. And I know it was 2007, I believe it was, there was a survey a couple years ago saying that uh, over half of hiring managers use Google And over a third of hiring managers had admitted to denying candidates just because of information they found online, whether it was on, you know, just the open internet or whether it's on social networking. And so, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to work for a company where they can't deal with the stuff that's online about me. But it's not always the stuff that you put online, it's stuff that other people put about you, or it's stuff that comes from a different generation. So, you know, a picture of a kid holding a beer might not be a big deal to Some hiring managers, but to others, it's going to be a lot, especially if you're dealing in an industry where there's commercial driving or if you're working with money, anything like that. They're going to look for evidence of poor judgment around alcohol and poor judgment around cameras and definitely deny a job based on it. Not sure if it's right or fair, if it should be legal, but it's undoubted that it happens right now.
2: Exactly. And so, you know, there's so many people here. We are sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and everybody's got a Facebook account, right? everybody's got it, you know, and, and many people driving by have Facebook accounts, and they think that they're safe, they think that it's private, they think that people can't see it, and we know that that's really not true. So, you know, is it is it enough to just not put the stuff up there? Or, you know, what do you, I mean, people want to communicate with each other. So are you even safe if you just don't use Facebook? Yeah, I mean,
0: it's it's hard to tell people don't use Facebook. Right. There's better and worse ways to use Facebook. You know, one thing you can do is make sure your privacy settings are locked all the way down. Uh, Reputation Defender, my employer, has a tool called Privacy Defender. It's available at privacydefender.net or just search Facebook for Privacy Defender. And it's a little free tool that helps you lock down your privacy settings to the level you want. It basically gives you three levels of privacy that sets all of the settings. You don't have to go through all 50 buttons and find all the little hidden things. You set green, yellow, or red privacy level does it all for you very easy. But even if you set the most restrictive privacy setting for yourself, your friends and other people can still blog about you. They can still put stuff on Facebook about you. And it's their privacy settings that ultimately matter. If your friend has all of his photos visible to the whole world, he puts a drunk photo of you up and says in the comments, hey, look, you know, it's David, it's Mary, it's whoever that's going to be visible to the whole world. And as facial recognition technology gets better, it's going to be extremely visible to the world. Uh, there's a, a website called face.com that just launched a, uh, an API. It's a way for programmers to use their website automatically to try and recognize photos of people. Right now, they've been reasonably privacy protective about the way it can be used. But there's no reason why it couldn't be applied to a larger group of photos and find millions of people who don't think that they're exposed because... Somebody else has uploaded a photo of them.
2: You know something, David? That's that's really interesting because I had a woman who called me who was a model uh, in the United States, and she found out through a friend that her face was put on a body of a porno star in Germany. And here she is a very clean-cut, beautiful model here, and she was devastated so actually having that kind of software where you could see if your face is somewhere where you don't know where it is, it would, be, it would help you to at least know that it's out there and then demand that it be taken down and said, this is not me, you know? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a very beneficial use of facial, facial recognition technology. And there are lots of other very beneficial uses like that. But the concern is what if this technology is applied without your consent, that somebody goes out and finds every picture of you, right. tags you with your tags it with your name and lets everybody see, hey, these are all the photos, and you know, rank them by embarrassingness or rank them by something else because people are drawn to those tabloid gossip, and they're drawn to sensation, and it yes. leads to so much negativity online.
2: And let me give you another example that you're going to be pretty shocked at. Um, I had a woman who called me who was a psychologist, and she was an expert witness on custody cases, and uh, this is what happened to her. The husband who she was not representing the wife. She was not, I mean, she was representing uh, the, the wife. She was helping out with the wife's custody case. And the husband, who was the opposing party, found pictures of her, put it up on a website, and made it look like she was a stripper and put up horrible things on this website. Then he gave this, he told his attorney about this website, and the attorney brought it into court to try and discredit her as an expert witness. It really wasn't her, but this is what they did by putting up this website. So people can get so incredibly devious online.
0: It's absolutely awful. I mean, there have been all kinds of studies showing that the more social distance there is between an attacker and his or her victim, the more devious and awful the attacker will tend to be, the less, less human, frankly. Yes. And the Internet is one of the most distancing technologies that you could ever think of. There's no physical connection. There's no visual connection. It, just, it seems like you're just typing away, you know, from your basement computer into the void and that nobody real is being hurt. Right. Like you say, there are real victims of this and people who could lose their families or their children because of it.
2: Or their reputation. You know, I mean of their professional reputation. You have a whole chapter called Anonymous Cowards. Why don't you talk about that? I think this is a great time to talk about it because you are anonymous.
0: Exactly. There's no technology built into the internet that proves who you are or tracks who you are. And we've all heard a lot, especially through shows like yours, about how advertisers and others can sometimes track you online. And so the result is that it's really easy to track people for the wrong reasons that advertisers can track some of what you do and big corporations can track some of what you do online, but nearly impossible to find justice and accountability for the right reasons, like when there is defamation or there is impersonation online. So through the use of specialized browser software, we give a couple examples in the book, Wild West 2.0, like uh, the Tor software, which is a project of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. It's possible to be almost completely anonymous online almost unbreakable, almost perfect. So unless the attacker leaves some clue in what they say or how they say it, they can often put comments up that are completely untraceable. The result is that they get to speak with a huge megaphone, but you have no way to retaliate against them. You have no way to find out who they are, to get legal justice, or to hold them accountable for what they say in the public eye. You know, At least if you and I gossip in person together, anything I say about somebody else, I'm putting my own reputation on the line. Right. People know that I said it. They can track it back to me. And if it's false, then my reputation suffers.
2: And you could be sued. And I could be sued, if, exactly. If, if it's a lie, you know, if it's not true and you're you're spreading defamation, you could be sued for defamation, right?
0: Exactly. But even, you know, even if it's stuff that's true and isn't illegal but just is in poor judgment, Right. I'm staking my own reputation when I say it. Right. Online, none of that's true. Everybody can go online. They can pretend to be somebody else, like you said with the story of a couple people being impersonated. Right. Or they can just post anonymously.
2: And you know, it's kind of an empowering thing for people who are who have really low self-concept, isn't it? I mean, I wonder about the psychology of all of this, that people who feel really bad about themselves can go online and suddenly have this power to try and destroy someone who has a good reputation or seems to be empowered. It's um, it's a very sick situation, isn't it?
0: I mean, it's good and bad. Like, like you implied, somebody who has low self-concept can go online and Find out that, in fact, they are liked and they are, you know, can be a member of a community and be very happy right. through their anonymity, but they can also use it for horrible purposes. They can attack other people. They can become a bully. They can try and bring other people down. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all about how it's used. And because of the social distance, because of the way that technology has sort of grown up, all too often it's used for those negative purposes you talk about.
2: Yes. So what about these small businesses? I told you about that poor professional. What about what are some of the other things that happen to small businesses? You talked about the pizza, like the new pizza place, you know, uh, puts out information that these other pizza places are, you know, have cockroaches or rats or whatever. So what else?
0: I mean, you know, there's a a whole proliferation of sites out there that are targeted at small business reviews. So there's, you know, Yelp, there's City Search, There's a lot of sites that allow reviews of small businesses and I'm a huge user of Yelp, I love it, huge fan of it.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: sometimes these sites get misused. They get mis- misused by the competition, like we talked about, or by people with other agendas. You know, there are lots of stories of urban legends floating around these sites where somebody says, hey, this business won't support the troops, they won't support America. You know, July 4th wasn't that long ago. They, you know, they'll say this company isn't patriotic, whatever it is. Mm. And start an urban legend, and maybe they're well meaning and just misinformed, or maybe they're you know have an agenda against the owners or whatever, but once you get these urban legends started online, they spread so fast and so far that the business often has a lot of trouble finding out even where it got started or how it got started, let alone effectively responding
2: right, right we're speaking with David Thompson, who is a practicing lawyer, technical expert, and the general counsel for Reputation Defender, and you can find out a lot more about Reputation Defender at reputationdefender.com. And I'm Mari Frank, your host at KUCI, 88.9 FM Irvine, and KUCI.org on the net. And we're talking with David about your reputation on the internet and all the things that can happen and what you should be able to do. So let's talk about, um, you you have some wonderful things here in your chapters, like that why people attack each other online. Let's talk about that. Besides being maybe jealous, what are some other reasons that people would attack each other online? How do they, Why do they do that?
0: It's All the reasons that you see in the everyday world just magnified by the internet, by the power of anonymity and the power of social distance, and the power of having a huge platform to speak from. So you know, we see a lot of people who attack each other online to be bullies. They want to exert control over somebody else, whether it's because they have low self-concept or because they want to extract some particular concession, a lot of times bullying in all of its horrible forms comes out. There was a story um, a couple years ago now of an army contractor who was a bully to women on a uh, one of these social networking sites to the point where he started to bully them into giving him indecent photos. Right. And he'd use those photos as blackmail to get more photos. He'd say, well, you sent me one photo, I'll release that to the world unless you send me another. Right. And just... You know, awful, awful bullying stuff. And I'm sure some of the motivation was to get the photos, but it also seems like it's a case where just wanted control, wanted to exert power. Right. And the Internet gave him a way to do that. Mm. You see, you know, you see people looking for revenge online. Yes. All the time. Some, they've been wrong somewhere in their life. And they want to seek revenge against the system or against an individual person. And because it's such a powerful platform, they can bring huge resources to bear against one person, it really impose hundreds or thousands of hours and dollars of cleanup costs on one person because of, you know, some, you know, sometimes significant, sometimes trivial wrong that they saw somewhere in their life.
2: How about lawsuits? You know, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with this? The law really hasn't ca- caught up with the technology, has it?
0: I, the law is still stuck in the very early days of the Internet, back in the AOL days and the copy days. One of the things that is really unique about the law right now is that there is a law written in 1996 called the Communications Decency Act. Most of it was struck down by the Supreme Court, but the part that remains is a legal loophole for sites that host negative content, sites that host defamatory content.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Even if they know that there is defamatory content going on on their site, and even if they encourage it, they can't be held liable for it and they can't be forced to remove it. Even if you can prove that it's false, even if you can go win in court, they can't be forced to remove or in any way be held liable for the content. So this, this was written back in 1996 when Prodigy was one of the biggest service providers, and it was written because of a case that happened within Prodigy's message boards. Somebody had written a defamatory comment about a financial services company, lawsuits ensued, and they tried to sue Prodigy. Prodigy said, hey, this isn't fair, got Congress to write a law. Well, back then... Because everything happened within Prodigy, it's very easy to find who wrote the original message. Right. Today, because of anonymity, because the internet's such a more open place, and because things don't happen inside these little, you know, they were called walled gardens, the little CompuServe walled garden, the little AOL walled garden, the little Prodigy walled garden. Yes. It's almost impossible to find the original attacker. In some sites, like there's a site called Juicy Campus, it's now defunct, uh, there are several imitators like it. I don't want to give them free publicity. Right. But the site called Juicy Campus, um, it encouraged users to post basically defamatory gossip and slander about other college students and promised them anonymity, promised that they would record nothing about who posted it. And they got away with it. They shut down for other reasons, but they could indefinitely get away with that, even though they knew and were encouraging people to post really nasty things.
2: You know, it's so hard because I get mostly people who contact me are they have these kinds of privacy invasions. But the worst ones are when it's really identity theft, when it really isn't them. And I had this woman who contacted me from New York, Claire Miller, who was actually on my show. And some someone had put up a fake Uh, it was on one of these dating websites and gave out her phone number, her address and said that she had all these dreams that she wanted to men, men to come. And she had all these fantasies that were really lewd and uh, men started coming to her door. And not only that, they were calling her and she finally found out where this was coming from. And, and the New York city police wouldn't even take a police report and nobody would do anything until we got it on the first page of the New York times. And then finally I was able to use the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the, the basics of that, saying this person's a victim of identity theft. They're entitled to provide you a police report and an affidavit, and then you must provide them all evidence of the fraud, you know, the account and everything. So we were finally able to, without even a subpoena, find out who did this and then have it taken down. But it was really hard. Most people can't even do that. So how do you do that? How do you take it down?
0: You're exactly right. Right now it's really hard. You know, there are a few cases like that one where the police just don't know how to deal with these online cases yet. They're trained in a different era. They're trained to be beat cops and you know, walk the streets of New York City, not to sit down at computers and figure out is this even something in their jurisdiction. So when you can get the police involved, a lot of times it's useful, but like you say, sometimes they're just behind the times. They're not ready to deal with these new technologies yet. Other times you know, you can get a lawyer involved. Other times you can ask nicely if it's a a site that's hosting it that seems to be a responsible site. You know, if it's a Facebook type site or a site that's run by Google, a lot of times they will, just as a community service, they'll try and help people resolve online conflicts. But other times it's impossible to get it removed. If it's a site like Juicy Campus, again, the site's defunct, but there are lots of other ones like it. They're not going to remove anything. They get their business from false and defamatory information. The only thing you can really do is to try and Make sure that your voice is heard more loudly, to speak louder than the people who are attacking you and smearing you, so that people who are searching for you find the true, positive, correct information about you. and They never get down to the really false and defamatory negative stuff.
2: Doesn't it seem like we need some legislation to kind of amend that rule, that law from 1996 that just to say that if someone can prove that it's defamatory, that they must take it down or they prove that it's absolutely not the truth or fraudulent, that they must take it down? Wouldn't that just make sense that we get that done? It would make a lot of sense. I mean,
0: the United States is the only country that has a law like this. There are countries that have seen faster Internet growth and more Internet use than the United States. Brazil is, quick, is often given as an example of a country that doesn't have this Communications Decency Act law where the Internet's growing incredibly quickly. Most of Europe doesn't have a law like this, and they have more you know, Internet penetration, more Internet use than we do. The Internet works just fine there. What's, what's funny, though, is that for copyright, there's a law called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, right.
3: 1998,
0: that allows Viacom to send one letter to YouTube, now Google, that remove literally millions of videos from YouTube. They've got all the lawyers in the world. They've got all the money in the world. All they have to do is write one letter. They can get millions of videos removed. Mm. But if something negative happens to you, right. somebody impersonates you on one of these sites, anything, you have to you know, basically find somebody like you, get it on the front page of the New York Times, get right. the police involved. right. Go to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is, you know... <laughs> which is ridiculous
2: the, to have to use it, but at least it gave me some avenue to get the information, right?
0: Exactly. and It's a really creative ad, uh, <laughs> approach. I really like it. But yeah, you, I use 609E, right? Is. Yeah,
2: exactly. Absolutely.
0: There's, there's no reason why Viacom should be able to send one letter and get a million videos removed when they have all the lawyers in the world. But everyday people like your listeners, when they're attacked online, they have to hire a lawyer get subpoenas, do all these different steps, and still don't get
2: justice. Exactly. Well, let's kind of talk about what Reputation Defender does, because I think that's really interesting and in, in how, how basically Google decides what links to put on top of a website. Where, where should we start? Should we talk about what you guys do and then what, what you use of Google, or how should well, we go?
0: We can talk about Google first. Okay. Google, you know, it's a great company. I'm a big Google user. I use their search all the time. But it's—they've got a tough job. If you type my name in or somebody else's name into Google search, right? Google has to try and figure out what are the ten things most relevant about this person. And There's
2: do they? No, do, I notice, like when I do me, a lot of times they'll pull the most recent things. Yeah,
0: yeah. And thats, that's not a bad approach,
3: right?
2: But
0: is are those necessarily the the ten links that sum up mm-hmm. your entire life? It's it's just not possible mm-hmm. for a computer to to know that whether this is a fair summary of your life whether this is an accurate summary of your life. So the computer sort of uses cheats. You know, it, it says, well, things that are recent right. come to the top. Things that are popular, a lot of people clicking on them and linking to them come to the top. Well, people are talking about it, it must be important. But these heuristics don't always work. You know, things that people click on and link to, oftentimes that's the tabloid stuff. It's not the, you know, the good unbiased summary of your life and all your achievements or your show. Or oh, your, your
2: intellectual prowess, right?
0: Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's people click on tabloid stuff. Right. And so you see these negative cycles where something, somebody posts something tabloid and people start clicking on it and linking to it. Even if they're linking to it to say, this is awful, this is completely not true. Google still takes that as a, a vote of support and starts moving that up into a search higher and higher and higher. Well, the higher it gets in search, the more people see it the more it gets clicked on and linked to, and the worse it gets. So a lot of times you'll see really negative stuff float to the top of a Google search just because they use this algorithm that, you know, maybe it's the best, maybe it's not, but it it's definitely biased toward tabloid and salacious material.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and there's no um, overview or and there's no anything that, that does any authority over that to, to say, well, you can't do that. You know, exactly. I mean, that, that's exactly what they do. Google,
0: so, yeah, refuses to change its algorithm to fix individual problems. It says, "Well, the computer says it, therefore it must be true." It, it, they almost assign this godlike quality to the algorithm that if <laughs> it, it's the oracle, it's the oracle at Delphi. If the <laughs> algorithm says that this is the most important link about you, then it must be so.
2: Right. So they take no real accountability or responsibility for that. They just say, "This is this is our calculations, and this whatever comes up comes up."
0: Exactly. Even if. Even if you and I know that it's completely unfair and completely untrue, even if it's completely defamatory, whatever it is, if the computer draws that number out of a hat, yeah. that's what comes up.
2: That's pretty scary. So what do you mean you talk about Google roulette? Well let, That's kind of what you're talking about, right? That's Google exactly. roulette?
0: There could be 10,000 different opinions about you. You know, your friends have things to say about you. People you've worked with have things to say about you. People you've met just by chance say things about you. 10,000 opinions, but Google is going to pick one or two that end up at the top of a search result. It's something like 65 or 70% of people click on the first three search results and never get past that. More like than so half just the first couple pages, right? Yes, yeah, just... never get past the first page. Mm-hmm. And so Google picks one winner out of all of these, these possible options and decides that's going to be what shapes your entire reputation, and that's what shapes the conversation about you. Even if the first result is, you know, a denial of some crime. Ms. Frank did not commit some horrible crime.
3: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. It's still going to shape the way people perceive you because that's the first thing they learn about you. Right. It's the frame they use to see everything about you.
2: Don't people pay f- uh, to have a higher ranking in Google too? I mean, so wouldn't h- how does that affect this whole thing?
0: Sure. So you can't pay Google directly to change your search ranking. They they absolutely refuse to. Uh, engage in that. I think it's probably a good business move on them on their part
3: because
0: mm-hmm. it a lot of gaming. But you can work with companies like Reputation Defender to help get your side of a story out. You can also use tips in our book, Wild West 2.0, to help get your side of a story out and help do it in a way that will make sure it comes to the top of a Google search. So people find your professional profile rather than blogs about you. So people find you know, the company you work for rather than some personal opinion help you get your side of a story out and speak louder than the attackers and defamers and slanderers. So, my company, Reputation Defender, we've got a product called My Edge, gives you an edge in search results. You work with a consultant here to find out what you want to present to the world. Do you want to be seen as a professional? Do you want to be seen as the expert? Do you want to just be seen as a family guy who keeps his personal and professional life separate? Whatever it is, we help you build content online that will naturally come up to the top of a Google search result when people search for you, for names about you, anything like that, and preemptively keep false and negatory, negative and defamatory information out. Or after there's already been something negative said, we can help make sure that your side of the story comes up first. Make sure it's, you know, people don't see these anonymous, false, cowardly attacks. They see the truth about you.
2: Well, how about do you do anything to actually content uh, contact any of the websites that have allowed this to be up?
0: Absolutely. we For some sites, we've developed relations with them, and we can help get information taken down if it violates their terms of service. Um, we worked with a family. We did a uh, pro bono case. So for lawyers, pro bono means free, yes. um, you know, for the public benefit. We worked with them to help get some very disturbing photos of a uh, car crash that involved their family that were being used to taunt and torment them. We helped them find those pictures and get them taken offline because they violated nearly every website's terms of service. Most websites have a little terms of service at the bottom that says, you know, you can't use this to harass other people and defame other people. And a lot of webmasters are reasonably cooperative when you explain very calmly and rationally what the problem is. Other websites aren't so cooperative and that's information that can't be removed. You know, there are a lot of blogs out there that exist to, to sell tabloid information, to sell to sell shock value.
3: Right, right.
0: And those sites won't you know, we don't have relations with them. We won't work with them to try and change content on there. But there are sites we have developed relationships with that you can help remove information from.
2: And you talk in your book about some things that people can do. Why don't we talk about some things that right now, before they even go to your website to see what they can, you know, what you can do for them. What, let's talk about some things that the students on our campus can do or the business people driving by can do right now to protect themselves and to see what's going on.
0: Absolutely. There's a lot of things you can do as an individual or as a small business before anything goes wrong, and you need to do it now while well, you still can. So one thing you can do is just establish a very good, positive online image. How do you do that? Well, you can start by setting up professional networking profiles on sites like LinkedIn. Uh, you can start by setting up a personal blog and making sure you claim your own name on these uh, blogging sites, so WordPress and Blogspot. Go out there at least create a template of a blog so you can stop anybody else from getting an, the same name as you. you know, there are sites that you can have, davidthompson.wordpress.com. Grab that name, whatever your name is, if it's not already taken, so nobody else can impersonate you. Set up you know, profiles on other sites that allow you to create a public profile. Use your real name. Don't provide any more information than you're comfortable providing. If you don't want to give a location or any details about yourself, that's fine. But grab the names before anybody else can, use them to impersonate you, and so that people find these good, positive sources of information about you. If you're a professional or small business, you should probably get a .com, um, you know, get .com, but also get the .coms around it. So, you know, if you're a, new, a pizza joint and you're called Joe's Pizza and you're in Canton, Ohio, get joespizza.com, joespizzacanton.com, joespizzaohio.com also get some of the negative names before anybody else can get Joe's Pizza com. <laughs> okay. um,
3: you know it's, yeah, it sounds yeah. funny but
0: i know somebody bought walmart sucks.com a long time ago and used it to attack walmart and they had some some very serious gripes about it but it's the same thing that a competitor could use against you just in the local market if they don't have some serious gripe about you grab those names before somebody else can
2: doesn't that get expensive though
0: it can um you know if if you're a professional in a small business, it's money well spent to protect your, protect your reputation.
2: Right.
3: You know, your
0: reputation is your only commodity. There was a study a few years ago by a business valuation company that found that a business's reputation is the most important part of its valuation these days. You know, Coca-Cola's money isn't in the number of bottles it has in its plant or you know, the, the secret recipe, Pepsi's recipe, is just as good. It's in the reputation that Coca-Cola has. If Coca-Cola was to lose its reputation it'd lose billions of dollars. Look at, you know, look what happened to, to Toyota after the recent uh, auto safety problems. Right. They lost billions and billions of dollars in value because people don't view their cars the same way anymore. It's the same for you as a small business or a professional. You're selling your reputation. Every transaction you make is based on your reputation.
2: And, you know, you were talking about, we were talking about the cost. When you think about what happened with Toyota and their reputation. Look at how much money they're spending now on advertising—incredible amounts on advertising now—to try and rebuild that reputation. So you, like you're talking about, be proactive and and get these names and do everything you can to prevent this from happening, or at least having that good reputation out there first.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, Toyota—they at least they had a problem with their cars, but there's nothing that prevents an urban legend from growing about you or a competitor planting a false rumor about you. No basis in reality that could spoil your reputation just as badly.
2: Right. So, you talk about online audits, uh, reputation audits. Why don't you talk about how you perform one of those?
0: Sure. So, the first step if you're going to clean up your reputation is trying to figure out what's out there right now. You want to know everything that's out there, including what we call iceberg content. Iceberg content is something that it might not be visible on the front page of Google now, but it could be later. It's content that's floating underneath the surface. They say, what is it, two-thirds of an iceberg is under the water. Right. Same goes for dangerous content online. You know, it can still shrink, sink your, your reputation. You can be the Titanic. It can be the iceberg, even if you can't see it right now. So you want to know everything that's out there. So start with just Google. Search for your name. Search for things about you. You know, Search for your professional affiliations, your town, any way that people might find you.
2: Right, You're the b- name of your business, right?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, think of all the different people who might be searching for you. In the book, Wild West 2.0, we've got a, a few charts we use to help people through the process. And basically, we start with, who are the different people who might be searching for you? What are all the different roles you play in your life? So, you know, you, for example, are a radio host. You're an attorney. You're a privacy advocate. Each of these people, you know, each of those roles has mm-hmm. different people who might be searching for you. So, they might be searching for attorney. Author. Privacy. Yeah, author. Mm-hmm. Author, KUCI. Yeah. You know, search yeah. for all these different terms with your name.
2: Right. So what do Minus. you do? You put your name like Mari Frank, comma, yep. would I do a comma, like KUCI yeah. or whatever? You can just do a space. Yeah, yeah.
0: Google's pretty pretty open about how you mm-hmm. can type in a search. So you could do Mari Frank author, Mari Frank privacy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mari Frank radio.
3: Right.
0: All the different ways that people might search for you.
3: Right. Right.
0: Go through a couple pages of search on each one, on each of these terms.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, people, most people are only going to look on the first page, but you need to know more. You need to know everything that's lurking beneath the surface.
2: Exactly. exactly. Find out if
0: there's anything negative or false or out there.
2: Mm-hmm. And try and
0: track it back to its source. A lot of times these rumors spread sort of by copy and paste. And so if you start to see a pattern, sometimes you can tr- trace them back to their source and address the source. Other times you can't. You need to know what's out there.
2: And you know, once something is out there, it is, you never know how many times it's replicated, right? It can be copied and copied so many times, even if you thought you took it down, it can come back up, right?
0: Exactly. And so once there's negative content online, a lot of times it gets copied around the world basically automatically. If it's on a blog, there's a technology called Really Simple Syndication, RSS, that is really useful for blog authors to help spread their content to a wider message, to a wider audience. Right. But it also means that you know, false and defamatory blog posts get automatically copied from one site to another to another to another because of this technology, basically at the click of a mouse. Mm. And so sometimes you can go back to the source and you can cut it off or at least stop it from spreading. But once it's out, a lot of times your best response is to just build up more positive content. So that no matter which of these terms people use to search for you, they're going to find the positive, truthful, happy side of you.
2: Wow. We're speaking with the author of Wild West 2.0, How to Protect and Restore Your Online Reputation on the Untamed Social Frontier. And we're speaking with David Thompson, who is the co-author, with Michael Furtick, who also was on our show. And David is the general counsel for Reputation Defender. And Michael, who we had on the show, is the CEO And David is a practicing lawyer. He's a technical expert. He's a real techie. He's general counsel for Reputation Defender. He's an author. He's done a lot of great research on all this as well. So, David, tell us now, um, a lot of what you're talking about is kind of technical for the ordinary person to do, and it also is time-consuming. Even when I will do a search, you know, I even have my Google Alerts out there, but when I do a search, it takes hours. You know, who has time for all this? So, so what do you suggest? I mean,
0: you know, if you've got the time, you can learn a lot by doing it yourself. But today's professionals are so busy and so hectic. They don't have, they've got better things to do. They should be out building their business. So for a lot of clients, we use a service called My Reputation. It's available at reputationdefender.com that does the work of doing an audit for them, it tells them everything that they can, be, can be found about them, only about them so for example i have a a really common name david thompson right Uh, i was gonna say
2: i know a lot of david thompson's
0: exactly there's a basketball player by my name there's somebody who works at microsoft by my by my name makes it really hard to run a google alert for my name you you mentioned that as a great first line of defense right and unfortunately google alerts aren't comprehensive they don't cover a lot of social media there's lag they're usually behind the times there's a lot that they're not perfect at again first great first approach but we provide a service called My Reputation that's more comprehensive and helps you narrow down on just you, not people with similar names, not people with you know, the same name who just do something else, but tells you everything there is online about you and what part of that content is dangerous. It quickly and easily flags and identifies the, uh, the most dangerous kind of content and lets you deal with just that.
2: So for someone like you who has a very, very common name that many, many people or Susan Jones or something like that, you know, how do you do it? Do you do it with their social security number? What kind of information do you need to get from them so that it can uniquely identify them?
0: You know, it's actually very little information. The social security numbers we don't collect. Okay. We're very pro-privacy. We want Good. to help people keep their personal information, especially their financial information, private Um. Very little information is needed because once I know a couple of things about you, I can learn a lot about you from the content that's already out there. You know, if I, went to, if I just knew your name and that you're a radio host,
3: mm-hmm.
0: from that I could find that, you know, what your institutional affiliations are, that you're on this radio station where you, you, know, where well, you I, work,
3: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of information like that, and very quickly create a profile of who you are. Then use that to automatically find the information that's just about you not about anybody with a similar name, anybody with the same name.
2: Okay, so you get that, and then what happens?
0: And we present the clients with a report that shows them, here's all the online content about you, here's how visible it is. And
2: here's that's content. like in a, in a condensed report, right?
0: Yep, condensed report is very easy to read and understand.
2: shows uh-huh. them
0: how much content there is out there about them, how much of it's positive, how much is negative. After you've been a subscriber for a little while, we can show you trends over time, we can show you a trend in how much of that content that you control in a Google search for your name.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: if you start putting new content out there that you control, we can show you how it rises in a Google search and how you start having control over more more of your Google search results, which is, we think, a very good thing. We think that you should control how you look online, not you know, the engineers down a mountain view at Google.
2: Right. What about people who will create a profile that's really fraudulent? You know, I mean, we've had people who pretended to be doctors, right? I mean, I've had people when I was a victim of identity theft many years ago in 1996, the woman actually pretended to be an attorney. You know, what if someone doesn't even have to use, you know, uses their own name and they they create all this stuff that is really all fraudulent? What about that?
0: I mean, that's, you know, it's one of the huge dangers of anonymity online. And we want our clients to not be victims of identity theft by building their own positive profiles before they can steal somebody else's. So, you know, if you had a very positive, strong online profile, this woman who pretended to be you and pretended to be an attorney would mm-hmm. have a more difficult time impersonating you. Right. You know, we, we help our clients know everything that's being said about them.
2: So I'm talking can, about now, like, like, David, what about somebody who wants to create an online profile that's fraudulent, that isn't somebody else's. Like maybe, oh, okay. you know, maybe their their name is really uh, Steve Smith and they are Steve Jason Smith and they want to look good. So maybe they'll get a residency as a doctor or they'll get a great job as a lawyer or as a business person and they just create this whole thing. I mean, how 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 does that work or does it work?
0: I mean, you see people do it and it's, you know, it's really awful. It's completely illegal, especially in the context where you're pretending to be a doctor or an attorney. Right,
2: right.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
0: we, you know, it's one of the reasons why you should always take anything you see online with a grain of salt, no matter how professionally designed the site might look and how many references there are to it. You know, you need to take that with a grain of salt just because the internet says somebody's a doctor or an attorney doesn't mean it's so. You know, we, you know, we verify our client's identities before we'll do anything for them.
3: Right. We, That's you know, good. We
0: obviously don't allow our client, our services to be used for those purposes but we see too many stories where people just blindly trust the stuff they see online when it's not negative or defamatory, it's just a fabrication out of whole cloth.
2: Right. Right. Well, you know, we hear all this stuff, um, you know, from background checks that people, when they get a background check, they find out, gee, you know, you told me you graduated from this school, but the background check shows me that you didn't graduate from this school. So, you know, that's, that's the craziness as well. Do you interface at all with these uh, information brokers?
0: We actually do have a service that's targeted at these information brokers. So right now, if you went online, you would be able to find names, addresses, phone numbers, in some cases, credit information about pretty much anybody, usually for free, on a lot of these information broker sites. Right. It's, it's really scary that anybody can go online and find your address, a picture of your house, how much you paid for it. In some states, they can even get a blueprint. Right. Right. submit those as property tax uh, hmm. evidence. Right really, really frightening stuff. And it's been a complete change over the last about five years over how easy it is to find this information. So we've got a service we call My Privacy Mm.
3: Mm -hmm. that
0: goes out to the largest and most important of these data brokers that give away your information for free and sell your information and restrict how that information can be processed and sold. Um, I've got a list of over 100 companies, 100 websites that are involved in selling personal information to anybody who shows up with a credit card. And so what we will do is we'll go find your information across these sites and target the choke points and get your information out of the key data brokers so it stops proliferating through this network of huge, huge, huge numbers of sites. You can have privacy and peace of mind in your own home.
2: You know, I think that would be great for some of these victims of identity theft, especially victims of criminal identity theft where there are, arrest records out there, like in California, we don't have arrest records online, but in other states they do. So there's arrest records for people who are really victims of identity theft. And those are the kinds of background checks that you want to get changed as well and find out about.
0: Exactly. I mean, even before you're a victim of identity theft, this is a service that I think everybody should, should be a part of, that when your information is freely available from these data brokers. And anybody who can just walk up and buy your, your name, your address, and your, your social security number, and your date of birth.
3: Right, right.
0: It's basically everything that identity thief needs to go after you. Huh. Get your information out now before it becomes a problem. Get your information. Make it harder to find. You don't need to be completely invisible online. You just need to be a harder target. Criminals will move to somebody else.
2: Yes, and... You know, people are becoming more aware about the fact that they are worried about their privacy, but a lot of them do nothing anyway. I mean, there was just a study that I read recently that people are more worried about it, but they still engage freely in these social networking sites, give out information that they know could put them in, in jeopardy, but they still do it. Oh, it just if, it amazes I under- me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I understand their perspective completely, though. It feels overwhelming right now. It feels like they're being tracked online. Their information's being sold. Their Facebook privacy is being violated. It feels like everything right now is overwhelming. So what we want to do is offer a ray of hope and say this is a way you can take control. You offer a service, MyPrivacy at ReputationDefender.com, it gets you out of data brokers. It deletes tracking cookies from your browser. It gives you uh, control over how much uh, unwanted mail you receive at your house. Gets you off up to 3,000 catalog mailing lists if you want to be removed free tool called Privacy Defender to help you control your uh, Facebook privacy. It gives you control step-by-step over this and puts you back in the driver's seat. So we want to help people who feel overwhelmed, that feel like it's hopeless.
2: Right. That's
0: one of the reasons I think people right now have been very reluctant to to change their behavior.
2: Yeah, they just don't know what to do. Yeah. Right. Um, So, and, and one of the ways they can find out what to do is to go and get your book, Wild West 2.0, How to Protect and Restore Your Online Reputation in the Untamed Social Frontier. Another thing they can do is go to reputationdefender.com. We don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to ask you, what what are some of the long-term trends for reputation and privacy? Can you be – do you have your fortune-telling cards out in front of you or what? (laughs) I I do. I've got
0: the whole tarot deck here. Um, Unfortunately – there's going to be a continuing trend toward decreasing privacy unless the law changes or the culture changes. As technology advances, it gets faster and faster to share data, move data, process data. I think facial recognition is going to change. It's going to become more and more widespread. So if you're just walking down the street, an advertiser or a merchant can capture your face and know who you are at an instant and have a whole, whole dossier on you. Unless we change the law or the culture, that technology is going to be the future. I think wow. we should change it.
2: Well, we're sure happy you're out there, and I think we should go to Congress and talk about some new laws, too.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree.
2: Well, thank you, David. You are really wonderful. David Thompson, the author of Wild West 2.0, How to Protect and Restore Your Online Reputation and the Untamed Social Frontier. We're going to send people to your website at reputationdefender.com, and let's keep in touch and find out all the good news things that you're going to be doing, David, okay?
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay,
2: we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join me every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash piracy. There you can see pictures of our upcoming guests. You also can see about their background and look at their websites and also look at all of our archived interviews, and download podcasts so you can join us whenever you are running or feeling like listening about privacy. And most of all, we'd love to hear from you, so send us an email right there at the website at KUCI.org privacypiracy Thank you. Stay private.
0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
2: I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. in the morning. And I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And we are so pleased today to have Lieutenant Paul Fuzzard, who is in charge of the Community Services Bureau of the Orange County Sheriff Department. And he has been with the department for 24 years. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul.
1: Uh, Very glad to be here, Mari.
2: Well, Paul, tell us, what is the mission of the Community Services Bureau, and, and what's your role?
1: Well, the mission of the uh, Community Services Bureau is to augment the regular sheriff's personnel. Uh, we also provide additional personnel at planned special events and pl- unplanned events, like last year's fires. Our reserves provide uh, 80,000 hours of volunteer services per year, saving $7 million a year. Wow. My role is like uh, an employment agency. I take requests for volunteers from throughout the department and throughout the county and fill those requests with the appropriate volunteer uh, sheriff personnel. We are asked to provide staff for the Orange County Fair, county elections, Swallows Day celebration in San Juan Capistrano, as well as every parade, 5K run, 4th of July celebration, and high school football game in the sheriff patrolled areas uh, throughout the year.
2: Wow. So what programs are included in the Bureau, like I know you have the PSRs. Why don't you explain a little bit about that?
1: Well, our PSRs, we have uh, 400 professional service responders who are uh, non-law enforcement volunteers and assist the department at places like the John Wayne Airport. They're also in our search and rescue unit, high-tech services, uh, crime prevention, Harbor Patrol, and the coroner's office. Uh, They also represent the department at many of our community functions.
2: And you also have the explorers. What are those?
1: Our explorers, uh, we have... uh, about 180 explorers. They're kids 14 to 21 years of age, and uh, they get to learn about police procedures, leadership, responsibility, and teamwork. It's a great segue into law enforcement career for uh, for young kids these days.
2: Well, you know, Paul, you do such a wonderful job. We're going to have you back again to tell us more about those great programs. So thank you for joining us.
1: That'll be great. I look forward to it, Maury. Thank you. All right. You. Bye-bye. Bye.